Welcome to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. Please open your hearts to hear an anointed message that will encourage and empower you to walk in the love and light of God's Word. Beloved, in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 to 27, we read some of the most compelling and sobering verses of Holy Scripture. That set forth the sacred criteria upon which genuine salvation is held, and which put a death knell to Lucifer's counterfeit, which presents a form of godliness, but that holds no real power within it, to provide the new birth regeneration that ignites a man's sin-deadened spirit with the eternal life that alone guarantees a glorious forever with the Father in heaven. This word of eternal life truth needs to be heralded more urgently now than it has ever been. For as the prophetic precursors that the Lord God has set forth by his word converge with dramatic confirmation that we have reached the last minutes of the last days, including the undeniable fact that the days of Noah revisitation is upon us, and the super-advanced technological innovations that will enable the Antichrist to wield his global control during the tribulation period are being readied as we speak, it becomes more than certain that time is of the essence. Therefore, let us go to God's holy and unadulterated word of life, as recorded in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 to 27, where it is written, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. 
Beloved, there are no words written or heard or that man has ever known that should cause as much holy fear than the four words of Jesus that are at the heart of his life-or-death warning held within that passage. I never knew you. For within the sacred equation of salvation's eternal life assurance and our knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior is held the more important reality, which is, does he know us? That is why we are exhorted in Second Peter 1.10 to be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Once the Holy Spirit confirms that life-endowed reality by bearing witness to his presence within us, and we now have the eternal confidence that our names are written in heaven in the blood of our awesome Savior, no one will be able to rob us of that sacred assurance. No matter how much the enemy rails against us with tormenting accusations and torrents of doubt that may try to assail us, the Holy Spirit will always bring us back to that solid foundation of Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. But it must also be understood that the great counterfeiter who comes to rob, kill, and destroy has his own darkened agents who preach another gospel and another Jesus. Where you are told that you can be saved without repentance or the regeneration miracle of new birth in which a man or woman becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus the Lord. Where in this redeemed state, the sin-deadened spirit of a fallen man or woman becomes ignited and made alive unto eternal life and they become born again from above, where all things pass away and all things become new. This is the criteria for genuine salvation and the eternal life that it promises. However, in the progressive Christianity of the Laodicea Church, which is thriving in these last prophetic minutes of the last days, you can stay just as you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are, because they are basically all the same, and everyone deserves the respect of their own choices. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you adhere to either. Are you a man who wants to become a woman, or a woman who wants to become a man? No problem. That's all up to you. It's your body, after all. Have you given yourself over to homosexuality? That's fine, too, as long as you stay monogamous in which case you will not be sinning. Or so say the progressive, so-called Christians, who having fallen into the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into by the serpent's prideful persuasions, are deciding on their own holy matters that can only be righteously dictated by the God of all creation and by unction of the Holy Spirit. And the end result of their futile ignorance is always the same. They will call what is evil good and what is good evil. And in their arrogant delusions, they are as the blind leading the blind, while continuing to give false assurance to the lost by proclaiming that all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Yes, believe. But let us stop here for a minute to consider that James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. So what about Romans 10, 9-10, where it is written, 
if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Indeed, this portion of Holy Scripture presents the pathway that man must follow in order to reach salvation's assurance. But it is much more than the mere intellectual action of believing. For as we just learned in James 2.19, even the demons believe and tremble at his majesty. The Romans 10.9-10 passage indicates that it is with the heart that man must believe in order for that belief to be genuine. That true belief in Jesus will then result in the fruit of righteousness. Without that righteousness being evident, meaning that the man or woman continues in his sinful and rebellious ways, it becomes certain that that person's belief was only head knowledge or superficial agreement, and not the true believing that is from the heart, with full surrender to the one who alone is righteous. Without the righteousness of God being evidenced in a man or woman's belief, there can be no true salvation. That is why the impostors who stood before Jesus in the Matthew chapter 7 account, while calling him Lord, did not bow down before him. They did not thank him for the precious and priceless blood that he shed to wash away their sins nor did they worship at his feet for saving them from the penalty of death those sins demanded and which they deserved. There was no repentance evidenced in them, only a litany of all the things they did in his name, much like the worldly church of today. They were seeped in their own false righteousness, which God calls filthy rags. And when Jesus looked upon them, he knew them not for they were not his own blood-bought and born-again redeemed ones, but sons of the devil, still seeped in their sin-riddled, fallen natures. To understand how repugnant man's attempt at righteousness is to the Lord God Almighty, we will go to Isaiah 64, 6, where it is written, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, have taken us away. The word filthy in that passage is a translation of the Hebrew word idia, which literally means the bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. The word for rag is a translation of beged, meaning a rag or garment. Therefore, by his word, the righteous acts of men are considered by God as repugnant as a soiled feminine hygiene product. In light of the holy, sinless and priceless blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous one and great I am. And as we consider these most holy matters, let us take a penetrating look into what the Word of God provides as the litmus test of genuine belief and the eternal life salvation that it assures. Because, beloved, these things are truly a matter of life or death, and the last minutes on God's prophetic time clock are quickly ticking toward the rapture, with love's last call beckoning those who have yet to come in, and the tribulation period which will follow quickly behind. I'll be gleaning from a commentary entitled, 
What is Saving Faith? by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is now with the Lord. He writes, When considering saving faith, it is often misunderstood that belief begins and remains with just accepting the truth as true. However, Scripture shows us that believing in reality and believing in the flesh are two different things. Believing by definition is trust in the truth of Christ, not just agreement with the truth of Christ. In Romans 10.3 we read, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. In this passage, general lessons are taught by the Apostle, which apply not only to his contemporaries, the Jews, but also to the universal church up into the present time. Verse 2 of Romans 10 explained the dilemma. The Jews had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with the true knowledge of Him. The word Paul uses in that passage for knowledge is very interesting. It is the strongest word used in the Scriptures with regard to knowing. It is epignosis, which does not merely mean a general acquaintance with something. It goes far beyond that. It means a full, a correct, a precise and vital knowledge of things ethical and divine. And the trouble with the Jews, and many who name themselves Christians today, is that they lacked this divine knowledge. They had zeal, but that zeal was not enough, for it was based on their own perceptions of who they determined God was. They were without the true and living epignosis, knowledge of the God of all creation, which held within it his nature, his majesty, and his kingship. Therefore, to biblically know God is not to know about him in an abstract and impersonal manner, but rather to enter into his saving actions by way of that true knowledge. It involves repentance and obedience to the stipulations of his covenant and living as a new creation in conformity to his will. It is becoming one with him, even as he and the Father are one. And in our next segment, we will delve deeper into the scriptural understanding of this saving faith that leads unto eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. Until then, I leave you with Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And until next time, beloved, I bid you his agape. You've been listening to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. If you have a prayer request, please contact us at Agape Light Ministries, P.O. Box 6313, Chesterfield, Missouri, 63006, or via our website at www.agapelightministries.com. Again, that's www.agapelightministries.com.